Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast live on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube and later on our podcast channel. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by the Liverpool Echoes, Joe Thomas. And this is The View from the Opposition, Newcastle based Everton tomorrow at St. James's Park. Joe, thank you very much for popping on to the podcast. How are we doing? Yeah, not too bad at all. Cheers. Looking, used to live up in Newcastle for a very brief period, so looking forward to come back up to the city. Yes, well, hopefully when you are on your way back, <laughs> you are not with three points. Um, we'll just dive straight in. What should Newcastle United fans expect from Everton on Wednesday? Yeah, it's an interesting question because Everton are a, a team that's very much in, in transition at the minute. So they're not, for, for anybody that kind of followed Everton or, or had an eye on Everton at the back end of last season and, and saw what the lengths that they went to in order to stay up, they were seeing a very kind of, a very limited side. We tend to play five at the back with, you know, with wing backs and concede a lot of possession uh, in the hope of basically just forcing teams out wide, pump balls into the box, which Evan could typically deal with and hopes to hit them on the counter-attack. Fortunately, from a you know from, from our perspective, things have changed now. Obviously, Evan did stay up. Uh, Frank Lampard and his team have had a summer to work with the squad and to kind of change the, the, the players a little bit, obviously a bit of recruitment. And they're in, the, they're in the early stages of trying to be a little bit more progressive. Um, so what we might what we may well see tomorrow night is probably four at the back and probably be a four three three formation and an attempt to try and control possession a little bit more. Still, kind of the attacks will still come from out wide, um, but really there'll be a lot more a lot of more hope to play the game in the middle of the park. Uh, the only problem for Everton is obviously because they're in a side of transition at the minute because the better players that they've signed are still new to the squad um, and they're still adapting from from previous tactics. There are a few teething problems. So uh, if anybody's been watching Match of the Day last few weeks, they'll have probably seen the type of goal Everton are conceding at the minute tends to be from almost trying to be a little bit more progressive in their style, playing through the middle, but then either you know getting getting done by the press of, of other centre midfielders or perhaps just giving the ball away when, when they're picking the ball up and, and trying to, to go for the middle. So I expect them, they're hard to beat. Spurs at the at the weekend, that's the first time Everton had lost a game by by more than one goal this season. And obviously they you know, they, they drew it home to Liverpool. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they they lost 2-1 at home to Manchester United as well. So they lost one at home to Chelsea. So they're, they're quite compact. They're quite difficult to beat and difficult to break down. They'll try and force you to put the ball into the box from, from out wide because Tarkovsky and Cody are so good at defending the box in the air. Um, and they'll try and hit on the counter-attack. But they are a side that's going through a few growing pains at the moment. So creativity isn't so much the issue, but but the end the, the end product is. And that was a problem against Spurs when you know they had two really good chances to, to go 1-0 up when you know, in the first half didn't take them and got punished in the second half by, by mistakes. I've seen a few Everton fans on, on social media talk about the issue when it comes to a, a lack of goals. And I guess when you're going up against a Newcastle United side who have considered the least amount of goals in the Premier League, that task from an Everton point of view isn't going to get any easier. 
Um, and at the moment, Mopai is is leading the line. But when Everton fans say that, I guess maybe the um, the response from some will be, well, you knew what you were doing when you were signing Mopai because of Brighton. He didn't have the best records either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think I think Mopai was signed, and I think a lot of the, or I think some of the transfer activity was was with a long term view, and um, you know Everton struggling for goals at the moment, but they would argue that they have the solution within their squad. And that's Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So obviously Dominic Calvert-Lewin has struggled with fitness for the, the past now 18 months. And I think this is probably, this is certainly the big question between now and the World Cup for Everton. And it may well be the big question between now and the end of the season. I think they've left themselves quite heavily reliant on Dominic Calvert-Lewin, not just getting back to full fitness, but then also finding form and being that goal scorer that they need. So I don't think that, Neil Mopai was ever brought with the long-term vision of him leading the front line by himself. I think, I think actually he's, he's the hope is that he'll complement Calvert-Lewin either by, you know, Calvert-Lewin plays the first hour and then you have Mopai come on and, and, you know, he, he gets in amongst it. He winds defenders up. He could be quite an effective player to, to change things around for the last 20, 25 minutes or perhaps coming in off the left um, rather than working as a partnership with, with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So, yeah, the fact that Everton has struggled for goals to come against such a good defence will will be undoubtedly be a problem. Everton, but Everton haven't so much struggled to break sides down. They, they they struggle to break sides down consistently, but they do tend to do it a couple of times a game. The problem is that often when they've done it, the chances then fallen through to somebody that perhaps isn't as ruthless a goal scorer as, as Calvert Lewin. So, and that's where some of the problems are. So, you know, it'd be interesting. Calvert Lewin's on the road to recovery. I, 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 it might just it might be a game too early. I think for him to start tomorrow. Yeah, there is a chance, and I think given given the struggles that Evan have for goals, that there will be a lot of pressure on trying him from the start because he, he would change change the game for you know, change Evan's approach and, and make them more di- uh, probably give them more of a goal scoring threat. So they might do that, or they might just leave it for one more game because you know it's, it's Palace at home on Saturday, and that might be a a game that they target more for for three points. I guess some people might draw a comparison between Calvin Lewin and, and, and Callum Wilson in terms of mm. two English strikers who would probably be a cert for many in the England squad if only they could keep fit. We've seen Callum Wilson come back after a long layoff. You mentioned there Cody and Tokoski at the back there for Everton. How do you think they'll handle someone like Callum Wilson? Have they got through that period of where they're settling together? Because Usually, one club will go out and buy one centre-back and pair him with another. Everton have gone and done the unusual thing and, and gone out and bought two new centre-backs and thrown them straight in. Yeah, and, and that's that's partly out of circumstance rather than necessarily through, through choice. Obviously, Everton started the season. I mean, Tarkovsky was the first signing of the season. And one of the big problems at the back end of last season was the fact that Everton have a lot of centre-backs and they have a lot of capable centre-backs. The problem is that they all struggle with injury issues. Um, Tarkovsky was part of the solution to that. But then, so Evan played Chelsea in the first game of the season, started off playing with three centre-backs, and it was Tarkovsky, Godfrey and Mina. But such is Everton's bad luck with injuries, I think, uh, under Frank Lampard so far. Both Mina and Godfrey picked up serious injuries in the first 70 minutes of the season. So Cody, the, the talks to bring Cody in were already on, on, on going at that point, and the deal was done soon after. Uh, but initially... You know, I, I don't think there was necessarily a plan just to completely overhaul the, the centre-back partnership. I think they probably would have stuck with a three and there probably would have been at least one of those 
um, you know, kind of longer standing members of the squad in there, but injury changed that uh, for for Everton. But Cole and Tarkovsky obviously got on very, very well. They're, you know, they're both very experienced, both experienced in the Premier League. You know, they both have experience with England squads. And, and you know, you mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago that obviously Newcastle conceded the fewest goals in the Premier League. Well, two games ago, Everton held that record. And it, it is fair to say that Everton did concede a fair few big chances, probably more chances than their record would have would have suggested, uh, and there was probably an element of, of, of poor finishing and an excellent goalkeeping from Jordan Pickford when when Everton held that stat. But they do look a lot more reassured at the back, and and even you know away at Spurs on away at Spurs on, on on Saturday evening, and for all the attacking threat that Spurs have, they didn't really break Everton down. They put a lot of balls into the box, which Everton largely competed with, and you know the two big chances from open play in that game both fell to Everton. And uh, unfortunately, from Everton's perspective, they missed them. And then you know, they were undone by you know, uh, Jordan Pickford giving away the penalty. So, you know, it's it's Everton. I say the change in they're they're getting better, but they are suffering from from growing pains a little bit at the minute. So, you know, I, I think that Cody and Tarkovsky. I don't think they fear Callum Wilson. You know, they'll both have experience of playing up against him. But where there might be a problem for Everton is obviously. You know, if they can't keep a clean sheet, can they score two to win? And at the minute, that's the issue for them. It sounds like, from what you say, in the way Everton play, is that they might handle Newcastle relatively well because Newcastle don't tend to put the balls into the box. Um, they tend to like Callum Wilson to kind of run the channel. Um, but at the same time, you do have Kieran Trippier and others who can really supply them. Mm. But I that's necessarily their, their first uh, route to goal. And I think Callum Wilson. He really needs a goal as well, so it'll be interesting to see how that like adds to his performance. Will there be a, a, a bit of pressure on him? Um, there's been, unfortunately for Newcastle, bad news in terms of Alan St. Maximin. This game, he won't uh, likely feature. Alexander Izak, the £63 million man who arrived in the summer, will be missing until after the World Cup. So you talked there about a horrid look of injuries for Everton. Newcastle are seemingly going through this now as well. Um, but those players aside, and I'm sure St. Maxim probably would have been your answer to this question. Um, who are you most looking forward to seeing, or who are you most fearing from Newcastle's likely start in 11? I mean, probably it would be the same answer to both of those, whichever those questions you pose, and, and that, that's Bruno Guimaraes. Um, I've yet to see him in the flesh, but he, he looks like some player he does. And, um, you know, I'm kind of excited to see him, but also, you know, also, also well aware that he could well pose a, a few threats for you know for, for Newcastle tomorrow, and, and he might be able to be the you know the spark. Obviously, could could unlock them, and that and and you know, you mentioned Trippier. Trippier with his, with his set piece um, ability is, is phenomenal, and although Everton deal with balls into the box very well, you know when you've got someone as good as that who can put the ball into the into those areas, and you know that you're always going to you know, potentially create. They're always going to potentially concede chances, so. Yeah, so that'll be an interesting one for them. With so many games uh, coming up, obviously they play tonight and then they've got another game on the weekend, as you mentioned. They're the same with with Newcastle. Newcastle are carrying a few a few knocks. There was concerns over Fabian Cher, but thankfully it looks like he's going to be fit. There was concerns over Gumresh and Trippier, but they're likely to be available. How are Everton dealing with the with the schedule this week? Better than they would have done last season, I think. And I think that was a key part of the recruitment in the summer. 
you know, this is this is a team ultimately that was in a relegation battle right to the bitter end last season. So I think there's been an acceptance from the fan base that you can't overhaul that and change that just in, in one window alone. But one of the key things that Lampard and the director of football, Kevin Farwell, sought to do was, was create a side that was more resolute, that could you know, be more resilient and more, more robust to the, the, the pressures of, of, of the Premier League fixture list. Obviously, they've had a lot of casualties already, but they're the same casualties that we saw last season. So Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Ben Godfrey, Yerry Mina. Uh, and with the exception, really, of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, decent replacements being brought in, Cody and Tarkovsky, seem to deal very well with the rigours of the Premier League season. Um, you know, tomorrow, Everton aren't without issues. I mean, the big question, as it has been all season for Everton, is, is to say a Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, and what role he can play because he's so important to them. Uh, Nathan Patterson, who's a right-back who started uh, the season for Everton, is, is a really promising player and he played really well. And he picked up a, a, a bad injury on international duty with Scotland and he's been a big loss. Everton are lucky to have a an experienced professional and, and someone as composed and calm under pressure as Seamus Coleman coming in. But what it has done is it has meant another big change to a defensive unit that keeps undergoing big changes, even with the, the best of forward planning. So, I mean, Patterson will be out, we have Coleman playing. One thing we will have that will be of interest to probably a lot of people watching the game tomorrow is, is Anthony Gordon will return. So he's back in the squad for tomorrow. He missed the game against Spurs because he was banned because he'd already picked up five yellow cards. So he's definitely back in the squad tomorrow. We we know that, um, and he'll obviously he'll be competing for a starting a starting role. I'd be very surprised if he if he didn't get one. Um, he hasn't been in the best of form in the past few games, but he did start the season well, uh, and he he does make Everton more direct, you know, more dangerous, running at fullbacks, running out wide, running at the you know, the covering centre backs. So that should help Everton as, as they try and put pressure on Newcastle, and certainly as they try and relieve the pressure on their own defence. Yeah, of course, a man that was heavily linked with Newcastle in the summer. What we will do now is hear from Everton manager Frank Lampard, who spoke to the press earlier today. He was asked uh, several questions and including whether he can see any comparisons between Newcastle and Everton. So this is what Frank Lampard had to say. Judge, do you see parallels between the assignment you've picked up here and what he's been able to achieve up there? Um. Not quite. Um, it's a different situation, <coughs> as I say. It's not, and this is not for me to focus on Eddie's situation. Because I don't know. When you do this job, you realise there are a million things you don't know from the outside. <coughs> but what is clear is their situation, and probably yeah, things that have happened with us, with coming in and the squad, and, and really fighting off relegation, Rich Olsen leaving, trying to rebuild in different ways. It's different situations completely. But as us as coaches, we're working just to try and get improvement. That's all you can do every day. I've really spoke about Newcastle's record, only one defeat this season, six draws along the way there. If you're trying to chart progression, is that it, showing a bit more resilience, digging out points when previously you might not have done? Yeah, and we've done that this year, to be fair, uh, as Newcastle are doing there. You know, you become more robust as you improve, I think. And that's always balance of recruitment and work on the training pitch. And we've both had our different versions of that, and Newcastle are a robust, hard-working, physical team, as well as quality. And I always admire that in a team when they have those attributes. So um, we feel that we have those as well. But we're probably, you know, we know we're steps behind in, in terms of the uh, of where Newcastle are and where we are because you know, we, we just know where we're at. You can feel it in the club. But there is a level of optimism around because I think people see little shoots of, of, of improvement. But um, 
our job as a side keeps saying the same thing is to just keep keep working and with this game it's just a very tough match in front of us very tough match a tough crowd an evening game there is always going to be a big atmosphere so let's show some personality there I mean how do you how do you view this this Newcastle team because it seems that they're, they're more than just difficult to beat aren't they oh yeah of course you have to respect them because they're a really good team they've got fantastic fantastic coach manager coach uh, staff a lot of detail I'm sure you know just from the outside um, really good players, um, you know, recruited really well in, in the last two windows, and of course those the, the new funds they have, they, I think they want to direct it well. They brought in a great um, director of football, so there's, there feels like there's a real plan and a vision to what they're doing, and uh, we have to respect that and, um, and understand we're in for a very tough match because they're, they're a good team on all levels. So that was the voice there of Frank Lampard for those who are listening later on the podcast channel. A couple of things there, Joe, I just want to ask you about. First off, Frank Lampard says, let's show some personality. So what do you think he means by that? Uh, I think I think what he probably means is, is Everton, they, they've just struggled with their intensity over the last two games. Yeah, they had a relatively decent start to the season and they went six six games unbeaten and then won two in a row. And in the last two games, they, they won up against Man United and lost 2-1. And obviously they, they lost at, at Spurs. And in both games, it felt more as if Everton lost those games rather than forced the opposition to win them. And I think for some reason, just this past week, Everton just struggled with their intensity for a little bit. So they just started to struggle with winning second balls and, and some of that and almost going into their shell within games. So I think he probably wants to see a bit more of that confidence, a bit more of that fight and, and, and dogged resilience that we saw you know, as Everton went six games unbeaten, really. What is therefore the biggest weakness that you think Eddie Howe will be targeting on Wednesday? Is it the fact that Everton are struggling to score goals or is, or is there something else that you think if you were Newcastle, you'd definitely be looking at and thinking that's where we can get the better of them? They're pretty good from open play, Everton. They, yeah, they are relatively uh, compact and, and quite good defensively. Uh, and as I said already, they're, they're very good at defending balls into the box. But I think... I think where there might be an opportunity is probably is probably down the channels, just in that in that slot between centre back and and full back. One of the things that Everton tried to do this season is they're trying to transition to play, you know, four at the back as opposed to the five that they started the season with. And whilst that's largely gone well, it doesn't mean there aren't problems with it. And I think one of the things that one of the things that Spurs did very well last uh, Saturday was was target the space between. Um, you know, Everton, whoever's playing right side of centre back is normally Cody and and um, Seamus Coleman, and they just had a little bit of joy down that right. They, they they tend to overload down the the right Evans right hand flank, and, and because of Everton playing free in centre midfield, they quite often ended up being left free on two, and it just enabled Spurs to put in a lot of really dangerous balls in from Everton's right hand side. I think that would be a little bit of a concern. Although Everton did really well to defend them, and although you know, heading balls away from the six-yard box and the you know, penalty spot is something Everton are pretty decent at, that's that's an area where it felt like Spurs had some success at getting at Everton the other day. Um, the other thing that I found quite interesting was Frank Lampard saying, we know we're steps behind Newcastle. Now, because interestingly, before the Newcastle United takeover happens, I was one of these people that would look at Leicester, look at Everton in the same boat and say, you know, that's what you kind of want Newcastle to be in terms of the ambition. Now, at Everton, it clearly hasn't gone quite to plan. They spent a lot of money and haven't got anything for it. But very early on, you saw that they actually, they were at least trying to do something. 
Um, mm. So for him to say that there's steps behind, is that an indication of just how badly wrong it has gone off the pitch? Yeah, I think so. To a certain extent. I think what you see with Newcastle and with Eddie Howe is you see what happens when the recruitment goes right. Um, you know, it's it's sensible, common sense recruitment players that you can get in that you both know improve the team, but will also you know understand the privilege of, of, of playing for a club that big and of, of that size. Uh, and I think perhaps where Everson went wrong is once they had access to the money to be able to to afford a better a better quality of player, they it wasn't particularly joined up thinking. They weren't thinking of the long term. You had individual managers and directors of football that were kind of operating to their own plan, but not thinking of creating a common thread that could outlive them. So every time someone changed, a new imprint, a new idea, a new culture was was kind of forced upon on on the squad, and players brought in to back that up. And by the time you got to the end of, or the middle of last season, what you had was a Frankenstein squad of lots of people's different ideas that didn't quite make sense as you tried to put it all together. As a result of that, Everton ended up in the situation that they were in. And, and I you know, genuinely think that Lampard and his staff did a, a very good job at helping Everton stay up in the circumstances, especially when you throw in some of the bad decisions that went against them later in the season and also the injury problems that they had. So I think what you see with, with Newcastle is you see you know, recruit sensible recruitment and what can what can go well when you do it. And obviously they have improved. Now, obviously you have your own achieving problems. It's not like you're going out and winning every single game, but you can see a genuine improvement and that's reflected in, in the points you get in the position in the table. I think um, Lampard is picking up the debris, the shattered debris of, of of recruitment that's gone wrong. And the first thing that he's got to do first was 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 make sense of it enough to to survive and then begin to mould the squad in its own shape. And that will always take a couple of transfer windows. One is you have to try and you know find opportunities for players that might not be part of the vision elsewhere, but also because you've got to try and convince the right people to come to the club and, and buy into the project. So I think they are a couple of stages behind because obviously the other one is, is with the FFP, you know, because of the sensibility uh, behind some of Newcastle's recruitment. You know, when you know, when Eddie Howe come in, he's right at the beginning of the of the process. So he's got um, you know, he's got lots of funds that he can use to to, to take the Everton squad for, to take the Newcastle squad forward. Lampard comes at the end of that process for Everton. So not only does he come at the end of that process when you've got a failed recruitment system that has left the squad that needs patching up, he's come at a point when there's hardly any room for manoeuvre within the FFP because Everton has spent so much money poorly to get to the situation we're in the first place. So he's He's, he's got a team that he, he inherited a squad that had a lot of problems within it and needed a lot of help. And he inherited a, a situation where he didn't have the funds available to necessarily do that easily. So in that respect, I think it's fair to say that there's an arse a few steps behind you know, where, where Newcastle currently are. The ambition is obviously to follow them up the table and to, to compete and compete at the top level as, as quickly as possible. But I think there has to be an acceptance that given the situation that Lampard inherited, that will take a bit of time. They did find some money in the summer, and one man who did arrive at Everton was Amadadura Unana. I think I pronounced that right. <laughs> Thirty-three million pound from Lille, and he seems to have been well. He's you know he played really well against Tottenham. Um, how was he? How was he bedded in? Is he one of the real key players Newcastle have to look at on Wednesday and try and stop? Yeah, he's a good player. He's a good player. I mean, he's 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 a young player, and he's 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 inexperienced, and he's learning life in the Premier League, and still learning life as a you know, top-level professional footballer, but what he's got under Lampard is he's probably got the perfect tutor for it. So, you know, he's come in, and I think partly just because of, of injuries and the situation, he's, he's basically come straight into the side 
and he's shown a, a level of ability and a level of maturity that I think has impressed a lot of people. You know, he is an exciting sign and he is a player for the future. I think a lot of Everton fans were you know, surprised when we were able to pull off a deal for him. And, um, you know, he's, he's probably one of a core group of players with the likes of, with, of Anthony Gordon and, you know, James Garner, who they also signed in the summer and, and Nathan Patterson, a right back and, and a couple of others who could, you know, they, they haven't reached their ceiling yet and their ceiling looks like it might be quite high. So if Everton can keep hold of them for a couple of, year, couple more year, couple of years and nurture them together and get them growing together, they could form the bedrock for, you know, the improvement the sustained improvement that, that Everton are hoping to achieve in the next few years. I'm going to hear again from Frank Lampard. He was asked once again in his press conference this morning about his take on Newcastle's ownership, which of course is co-owned by the PFF, the PIF, which is uh, the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia. This is what he had to say. Hi Frank, um, you mentioned there before about Newcastle and sort of obviously on a different journey from you and obviously the money that they have. Do you think it's fair that they've got resources where they can call on a sovereign wealth fund to help their development? I think in modern football everyone has a different position, a different perspective and sometimes it changes. Sometimes I think it's a re reason that we embrace and love the Premier League. I, I lived the, the Chelsea story as a player. I viewed it and touched on it as a Manchester City player for a year um, and there are I think, a lot of stories within there on a football level purely that you can just embrace and, and, and love about. You know, I saw City got voted the club of the year last night for, for the many, many good things I know they do on and off the pitch. So everybody, everybody's different and this thing of financial fair play for me is, is a bit strange. I never kind of understand it because if it was financially fair, there are a lot of teams that have a lot more income than we do, for instance, and can spend a lot more on players and wages and that's, that's the story of the modern game. So it's all relative. Um, that's where I stand on that one. Yeah, but I suppose I think Jurgen Klopp's talking about Manchester City since you bring it up. saying you can't really compete. Yeah, but Liverpool have competed with them. Liverpool have competed with them with um, great coaching and great players and great recruitment. You know, they brought in Virgil Van Dijk and, and, and Allison and all these players. And uh, whilst being strong, they can keep re-strengthening and changing and all those things. So I think maybe you view it at this moment in time with Liverpool with, with the form they've had. They're clearly going to be back up amongst it. So I think, as I say. The, um, I understand the, the, what he's saying to a degree. I can probably say the same when I'm talking about Newcastle. We're not there because they can spend 200 million in two windows, and, and we can't. We have to, our net spend is much less. So you just get on with what you want. I think if that's his point, I completely get it. But in terms of trying to, um, I think the debate afterwards that's carried on is questioning whether it should be allowed or whatever. Or these clubs are, are fighting on a different level. Maybe they are, but maybe that's just the the, the Premier League and the, and the way it is. And I don't I don't think it's the worst thing. And I, as, a, as I say, I, partic I particularly look at the story I was involved in as a player and Manchester City, which I touched on. And particularly when I think about City in terms of how they handle themselves on and off the pitch, I think they're a fantastic example. That's my opinion. So there we have it. He's actually been getting quite a bit of praise from Newcastle fans for his answer. Who think I've seen people describe it as a, as a logical answer. I thought it was a very sensible answer as well. And he's obviously, as he's mentioned, they've gone through the experience of clubs who've had massive takeovers. Um, what is the feeling amongst, you know, first of all, Everton fans? How do they look upon Newcastle now they have been taken over by, as some people would say, the, the richest group in, in club football? Well, I think most of the, you know, if, if, we, if we stick to how that's reflected on the pitch, 
then we know that it's a Newcastle side that is obviously competing at the higher end of the table now, uh, whereas at one point last season, obviously they were in the potentially going to end up in the relegation battle themselves. So I think it, yeah, where where the flip is, uh, I think that you know, Edson will go to Newcastle tomorrow, not necessarily fearing the worst, but knowing that they're going to go for a tough game, knowing it's going to be a side where Everton are the, are the underdogs because of you know, because of the recruitment that's gone on there and. And, you know, as mentioned earlier, because of the way in which that recruitment has sensibly been managed. So I think Everton fans will go tomorrow uh, thinking that they're the underdog. And, and I think if Everton can get a point, I think most people will be happy. Do you think that's the expectation from Everton fans that it is a, a point is maybe the best result they can hope for? Not that they can hope for, no. Like, I mean, there's a lot of talent within the Everton side and it's an Everton side which, albeit kind of, as I say, in the very, very early stages of its transition, it is showing glimpses of, of what it can do in games. You know, they could easily have come away from the Merseyside derby with three points. Um, they could easily have taken something off Chelsea on the first game of the season. And they could easily have taken points off, off Spurs and, um, and Manchester United before that. So this, this is an Everton side that kind of has both the leadership and the culture and the ability on the pitch to compete with, you know, to compete over 90 minutes with, with, with very, very good sides. The problem that they've got or had so far is to, in order to to convert good performances into wins, they quite haven't quite had that moment of ruthless. They haven't quite got the ruthlessness or that. They just lack that additional bit of quality, which means if you only get one chance in a game, and obviously chances are going to be hard to come by against a side that defend as resolutely as Newcastle. Evan don't quite have a player that you'd say, you know what, I I put my house on him scoring. Um, that might be different in a fortnight when Dominic Calvert-Lewin is hopefully back and fire and fit, but it, it isn't at the minute. So, you know, Evan have to take their chances. And I, I think there's an understanding that they, they can create them, but too often they fall into players that perhaps aren't as ruthless as they could be. And as a result, you know, albeit Everton have uh, improved massively at the back, you know, it puts a hell of a lot of pressure on your team if you're struggling to score goals to so still you know, to keep a clean sheet in order to come away with points. So, I think I don't think Everton will go to Newcastle with with fear, but I do think that Everton will go to Newcastle kind of thinking, you know, early stages of the progress against a side that's had a lot of money spent on it is in very good form. Um, Everton confidence knocked after two defeats on the bounce, and I think that fans will probably be when fans are looking towards where they want to be at the break for the World Cup and where they want Everton to be in the league and have feel comfortable. They're probably looking at the start of their acquisition of points, hopefully starting from, from Saturday and going onwards and probably tomorrow being, you know, a bonus if they can get anything from it. Just going back to the ownership question, you've mentioned there how recruitment hasn't been brilliant. Frank Lampard alluded to um, what he kind of had to come in and deal with off the pitch in his uh, pre-match presser there. Is there a frustration when, is, do you think there's a frustration from Everton fans when they look maybe at Newcastle and what the owners have done, bringing in, you know, Dan Ashworth, bringing in Darren Eels, these people who've got real experience in this in the areas that they've been brought in to do, you know, top, top names, and it, it's worked it's worked well so far. Is there a frustration that, you know, it's such fine margins? Because obviously if it worked at Everton, they'd probably be up there in the top six now, an established top six side, whereas it hasn't worked. They're mid-table kind of thing and whereas Newcastle seemingly got it right so quickly. 
I don't think there is at the minute, to be to be perfectly honest. I think there would have been, you know, last season when Everton were in the relegation battle that they were in. The frustration is, is very much the recruitment that, that, that predated Frank Lampard rather than anything that Lampard has done. His summer transfer window of him and Kevin Fowler was actually largely positive. And I think most people would would say that he's probably a striker short of doing as well as he could have done uh, in the summer transfer window. And I think behind the scenes, actually, Everton have made a lot of positive changes in the past six or seven months. Yeah, they've overhauled their football in operations. They've got a manager in that has built a rapport with the fan base and seems to be making decisions that, you know, at least make sense or he's aiming for things that the fans can, you know, can, can agree with. They brought in a director of football who, again, is making sensible decisions. It looks like there's a strategy at Everton and it, you know, it might be for the first time in, in five or six years. But for the first time in that period, it looks like Everton are making decisions on and off the pitch that make sense. Now, such is the you know the, such are the consequences of how they the club has has been managed over the past five or six years. They start from a much lower platform in order to try and you know from as to try and move forward, but they are making strides forward. So I think you know behind the scenes, as well as on the pitch, I think Everton fans are largely backing what they've seen, confident in the people that have been appointed, and 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 hopeful. And believing that progress would be made, but what I, you know, I do think is there's an acceptance that that progress would be slower than, say, for instance, you know, what, what Newcastle have been able to achieve, just because of, you know, they haven't walked into a scenario where Frank Lampard can can spend all, all that money because of the mistakes that have been made in the past, not because their money wasn't there, but because of, you know, because of how it's been handled over a long period of time. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, one of our viewers, Al Stapleton, says we aren't competing at the high end of the table just because of money. Squad is fitter. Existing players have been coached professionally to get the better performances possible, and everyone is committed. Um, before I ask you about Jordan Pickford, because a lot of people have asked about Jordan Pickford, and there's a couple of side stories there, him being uh, mm-hmm. Sunderland lad, and of course the battle for England's number one as well. But just want to ask you briefly about Rafa Benitez. I'm, I'm sure people watching and listening might have been having a private sweepstake in their head about how long it would take me to to ask you about Rafa Benitez because I'm sure at some point on Wednesday night there will be at least one chant that was uh, last season when the two teams met in James's Park. Just talk to us about because I guess this links into what Frank Lampard was saying there. You know what he had to come in and try and, and try and piece back together. You said he was picking up the pieces of of the past. Um, how much of that was down to, to Rafa Benitez? Because, of course, he is still adored here on Tyneside. Yeah, probably straw that broke the camel's back, to be honest. You know, indicative of the, the bad decisions and the, the poor judgment of, of, the, of the years earlier. You know, the situation with poor recruitment and things like that predates Rafa Benitez. You know, he didn't inherit a perfect club. But at the same, on, on, on the flip side, sorry, you know, it was a strange appointment to make. It was one that alienated the fan base, and which was always likely to go wrong. You know, I think that that's probably the biggest symbol of, of the mistakes that have been made over the past five or six years. You know, everyone knows what, what Rafa Benitez did at Liverpool and, and what, what he's done elsewhere. But in terms of in terms of a fit for a club, he's about as poor a fit as you could get for, for Everton for lots of obvious reasons. And I think there's a degree of 
understandable frustration as to it wasn't you know, that the people couldn't see that it was obviously going to end the way it did. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally, totally accept what you're saying there. Um, on to Jordan Pickford then. Got a little bit of criticism for the performance against uh, Spurs or, or the error that he made. Yeah. And then, you know, he has suffered a little bit with injury. He missed the last international round of games. I guess from his point of view, Nick Pope's performance uh, probably was good news for Jordan Pickford in terms of the battle for number one. Wednesday night, we'll see these two, um, obviously, at either ends of the uh, of the pitch. Um, how will Pickford uh, handle coming back to St. James's Park? He's always... He, it seems to be the target of um of of, of some fans given his Sunderland links. Uh, Frank Lampard has spoken today about how Pickford's matured and, and and he doesn't believe you'll see the same reaction as we've seen in previous seasons. Um, so how will he handle coming back to St James's Park with the the battle for number one as well? Um, playing away in the background. Yeah, I don't think the battle for number one should be too much of an issue for him. To be honest, uh, I think obviously, you know, not only has he benefited from. You know, Pope and Ramsdale struggling for you know when they've been given opportunities for England. Got to remember, he's a goalkeeper that that led England to a, a World Cup semi-final, a, a Euros final, and he's the current holder of save of the season from last season and save of the month from last month. So, you know, Jordan Pickford obviously, you know, he could have done better with the with the the save that ended up causing the penalty against Tottenham Hotspur, but he made a number of very good saves in that game. You know, he's a keeper that's in in absolutely fantastic form, and you know, a lot of the narrative from outside the club has been questioning his credentials as England number one for quite some time. But I think anybody that follows Everton closely will have seen that, you know, not only has he been doing it for England, but for Everton as well. He's been in, in superb form for a long period. Yeah, you know, Frank was speaking today about his increased maturity. And we saw that, we've seen that quite a lot under Frank. You know, we got given the captain's armband for the first time in his career at Burnley last season. And he started this, this season as captain as well. You know, chosen as captain ahead of the likes of James Tarkovsky and Connor Cody. It's only... Seamus Coleman's return, who was a club captain, which has seen Pickford lose that armband. So, you know, I think that you know, there's every reason for Everton fans to be confident that he can handle that atmosphere. Obviously, we know that the, you know, the, the history that he's got with Newcastle fans and the links that he's got to Sunderland, you know, that's always going to be um, a more challenging place for him to go than than probably anywhere else in the league. But, you know, I, certainly on the pitch, you know, hopefully his goalkeeper can do the talking as it has done for the vast majority of the 18, last 18 months. How important is it that he does keep his head? Because I remember that 3-2 defeat from yeah. Newcastle when Everton were 2-0 up and he walked down the tunnel at half-time and he gestured gestured to some Newcastle fans who were you know, giving him some some abuse and they came out and Newcastle won 3-2 and Pickford didn't have the best of second halves there. So how important is it that he does he, do, he doesn't get affected from, from, the, from the fans sitting behind him? Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's done a lot of learning since then and, and hopefully he's able to put it into practice tomorrow, obviously. You know where Everton are in their development. They're in a position where they, you know, they they can't. You know, mistakes cost them games at the moment. Whether that's in front of goal or whether it's it's going forward or or at the back, and you know, they can't afford to you know shoot themselves in the foot as they have done perhaps in in, in recent matches. But uh, you know, obviously, it goes without saying that Jordan Pickford needs to you know maintain his levels of professionalism. But I've got absolutely no doubt that he will. And. You know, for all that Newcastle have had a very good start to the season, they're sixth on 15 points, one defeat all season. It is a brilliant start for Newcastle. You know, Everton are 14th, 10 points. But, you know, if they do beat Newcastle, they would obviously only go two points behind them. Are they whereabouts in the league where you, where you think it's acceptable at the moment? Would they, would they be taking 14th on 10 points or do you think they'd like to be a little bit higher going into this game? 
I mean, I think they take 14th at the end of the season. I think that'd be seen as, as significant progress. I think that'd be fair enough. Obviously, you know, as we covered quite a lot in this, the progress has to be incremental. I think for Everton, you know, given the the situation at Frank Lampard and Kevin Fowle inherited, you know, it's a side that took until the penultimate game of last season to stay up. I think they'd like a few more points on the board. They possibly deserve a few more points on the board as well. You know, they played relatively well against Chelsea in the first game of the season and were undone by a penalty and. Leeds and Brentford, they drew away at both of those clubs and could easily have, have, have won those games. Even the Merseyside derby, say Coda had a goal that was disallowed, you know, for, well, it was offside, but you know, it was very close and you know, they hit the post as well. The margins have been very fine. So, you know, I think the Everton are one of a number of clubs in the Premier League and there's, there's quite a substantial number of them that I think, you know, are all in the same boat where they're not quite where they want to be at the moment. Um, and ten games into the season, they've probably raised questions as well as you know, sort as, as, as given confidence that answers have been reached. Hopefully, for Everton, that they can almost you know become the best of those. And I think the the, the pleasing thing for Everton, as opposed to say somewhere like you know, if you look at Southampton who are struggling, or you look at Nottingham Forest, or you look at Leicester, or even you look at Wolves. I think what Everton do have at the minute is they have a bit of stability. Um, and they have a sense of direction, and it, it feels like everything is every all parts of the club are pushing in in that direction. You know, whether or not they can make progress quick enough to rise up the league in the way that they want to, whether or not they can make progress quicker than some of the teams around them is mass is obviously open to debate. But you know, I don't think there's any doubt that they're making progress. But for your yeah, 14th, I think they 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 take this season. And just before I get you to predict how this game will go, we'll have one final question from one of our viewers. I think we kind of already covered. Yeah. What I just say is, will they park the bus? Uh, I don't think they'll park the bus. Um, I think that, you know, what we've seen so far this season is Everton are definitely trying to get, whereas they might park the bus at the back end of last season, it was a very pragmatic approach to trying to get points as they tried to stay in the league. This this season, they're trying to play the game 20 yards further forward on the pitch. They're trying to play the game in the middle of the pitch. They're trying to get their midfield to be far more progressive than it was last season. Obviously, you know, it's a side that's in transition. It's a side that's still, you know, still developing and, and suffering team problems. So it's a side that can be forced back and it was pinned back at different times during the game against um, Spurs at the weekend. But I think the hope is that, that Everton can be more progressive than that. Um, it will probably just depend on how well they settle into the game and how well they can disrupt Newcastle in terms of in terms of whether they have the success. But I don't, I certainly don't think they'll be going there to part the bus for a nil-nil. Um whether the circumstances of the match, including the ability of, of Newcastle, means that it ends up looking that way and they spend a fair bit of time on the edge of the box. You know, there has to be an acceptance that might end up being the case. So how is it going to go tomorrow? What is the score going to be? 1-1. Uh, 1-1. One, one. One, one. You take a point, you said. I'd take a point, as I say. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an improving Everton side. It's still got a long way to go. Um you know, it, it's had the ability to win the last two games at away at Spurs and, and Newcastle, uh, sorry, Manchester United, um, and have shot themselves in their foot a little bit with either giving the ball away for, for big opportunities for their opponents or missing chances themselves. So, yeah, I'm hoping they'll take a step forward tomorrow. I'm going to say 2 0 to Newcastle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nice evening game, full house. There does seem to be a bit of a. Uh, 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 Bad, uh, I don't want to say bad blood, but I don't think Newcastle fans particularly like Everton. Um, so <laughs> it always seems to be a bit of a feisty atmosphere. So I think the atmosphere will will be um, quite something as it was when I remember the last game at St. James Park. I think it should be 
a good game. And we will bring you live coverage on Chronicle Live through our live blog. And you can head over there now to see what Eddie Howe had to say in his press conference as well as Everton manager Frank Lampard and plenty of other great content. And you can catch Joe over on Liverpool Echo as well, bringing you the Everton points of view ahead of Wednesday's game. This has been the Everything is Black and White podcast. Joe, thank you for popping on to the podcast. Safe journey up the Tyneside tomorrow. Thanks for having me. And to everyone watching and listening, please remember to hit that subscribe button through whichever platform you're joining us through and enjoy the rest of your weekend from a Newcastle point of view, hopefully with three points on Wednesday.